Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. I'm beyond excited because my guest today has been a leader and champion for women in business her entire career. She has received many awards and recognitions, including being named one of New York's 100 most influential women, top 50 women in wealth management, notable women on Wall Street, and the most recent one, most influential women in mid-market mergers and acquisitions. Alexandra Leibenthal is truly a powerhouse. She's currently a senior advisor in Hooligans Loki's financial sponsors group and leads women-led, specialized investment banking services for women-led companies. Prior to that, she was the CEO of Leibenthal Holdings, a municipal bond firm founded by her grandparents in 1925. Last but not least, besides acting as board member to several companies, she's the New York City chair of C200, the leading organization for women in business. She's had a fascinating journey and I cannot wait to hear all about it. Hello, Alexandra. Welcome to Back to Basics. Hello. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here with you. Well, I mean, you, from the moment I learned about you and all you've done, I mean, besides the impressive career, anybody advocating for women and, and women-led companies, I think, deserves special mention, a spot on my podcast, and, and, and you know, just the opportunity to, to share all of that. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, hearing that part of your work because I'm very passionate about it as well. But, you know, as tradition and back to basics, we go right to the origin story. So if you would share a little bit about your early beginnings and, of course, in my introduction, being part of, you know, uh, such a uh, prominent family with such a great vision. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a bit about it. Thank you. Um, you know, I think my role right now goes back to the way I was raised in a very unique family business, which had strong female presence. So our original company, as you mentioned, was started in 1925 by my grandmother and grandfather. My grandmother actually ran the business from um, about 1950 on when her husband passed away. Uh, she worked until she was 92. So I actually worked with her for a year when she was 91 and I was 23. But I always, growing up, just that was my understanding that women could run companies on Wall Street and they could, you know, be on Wall Street for, for going back to 1925. It was a municipal bond firm selling individual municipal bonds to retail investors. I joined the business two years out of college, became CEO when I was 31, and I think realized at the time that I got in the proverbial room because 
I had the privilege of my family and growing up with my grandmother as a role model. And so I always kind of felt like, you know what, I got in here for reasons other than my talent and brilliance. So let me leave the door open and make sure that every other woman who deserves to get in here can. So it's very much been a theme throughout my entire career. In any case, I ran the business for a decade, sold it, stayed with our parent company for a few years, and then started a, a new company from from scratch. We were a, a woman-owned broker-dealer that participated in big debt and equity transactions. Number of women, minority, disabled veteran firms are included in syndicates of big transactions. We became the number one woman-owned firm, but in and that was 10 years. And in 2017, I decided I was ready to hang my CEO hat up, but took my passion for women and realized that there are so many women-led companies in every single sector from telecom to consumer products, and that it was really time for the investment banking world to realize this incredible opportunity and not just kind of capitalize on selling as many companies as you can, but really thinking about, you know, especially with my own background, how do you really help these women as they're growing? How do you make sure that they understand the banking process, that you've you've kind of helped them you know, get smarter along the growth of their company so that by the time they do get to an exit, um, hopefully you've done enough to be incredibly helpful that they want to use you, but also that as that woman sits at the negotiating table, she feels like, you know what, I got this. I know this stuff. Rather than sitting there thinking, I have not, know nothing about investment banking and, and this is not the time that I wanted to learn it. So anyway, I think I packed about 100 years of history today. Uh, but I love it. You definitely fast forward, but uh, it's also fascinating. And and definitely, you know, I guess I'm, I'm leaving an example because how we connected initially yeah. was through somebody that knew, knows that I, you know, lead my own firm and, and they say, oh, you have to know Alexandra, you have to meet her. And I mean, you were so open, available and willing to, you know, just make connections, talk to me and even being on the podcast. So for that, I thank you because I believe that when people actions, actions are louder than words, as I always say. And, you know, you have those people that you think the world of and they have these careers, but they're almost unapproachable. And I think that you're already making a difference in the world by by being who you are. So thank you for that. But I want to backtrack to an interesting part, though, because I know a lot of my uh, many of in my audience. They, you know, uh, when they write emails about the questions I make, they always fascinated by how the guests have chosen one path or one studies and then ended up in something completely different. So if I have it right, I mean, you're a Princeton graduate in history. Yes. So I would love to just understand that the trail of thought of young Alexandra, when you were making that decision with the family business that you had, what was what were you thinking at the time? So it's interesting because I had actually wanted to be an actress and the summer between my, I think, junior and senior year of high school, I was supposed to go be an apprentice at the Williamstown Summer Theater, which is a big deal. And I'd had a an accident, a skiing accident and had knee surgery and I wasn't going to be able to really function. So I ended up working in the family business. And in a way, that's sort of this weird moment where 
maybe the path was was determined, certainly away from, from acting. But when I graduated from college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I actually, then I started trying to find a, a job in the municipal bond world. And that was kind of challenging because there was this family business. And I ultimately almost ended up going to work for the head of Liz Claiborne Accessories. Mm. Um, I would have been the assistant to her assistant. And had I taken that job, my life would have been completely and utterly different. But right around that time, I then was offered a a position at another bank, um, Kidder Peabody, no longer here. And so that set the the stage. I, I still at times, though, think to myself, how did you end up in the finance business? You're not a, you're not a numbers person. You're not a, you know, you don't, I generally think in a very creative way, but I actually find that banking and business is, it's not only creative, but it's also history. So going back to my history major, you know, it's, it's the story, it's the history of a business, a family business, or, you know, even in a different way, thinking about with this is timely Silicon Valley Bank. That's <laughs> if you that's history. If you go back and look, you know, to 15 years ago and even back to the to the 1920s, it's really good to have this perspective about the historical significance of events within business. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I love that because, you know, I, I always made the point of saying nothing is written in stone and uh, and you can really make whatever you want out of your life. And, and, and it's allowed to take U-turns, you know, or take yeah. changes of direction. So, of course, because I am in the family business, so I I think I can relate to maybe what you felt that not many people can can relate to maybe feeling the weight of legacy, the weight of something that was there for you to keep going. And so I admire that your decision, and I'm sure that you honor even more the legacy now because you're taking something like what you learned from your family, but now you made it your own. And this is how I see it. But I, I also would love to, if you could share anything about that breaking with legacy if you went through anything like that for my audience that works in family business I'm one of them so this is a little bit of a selfish uh, question but I know a lot of people feel that I cannot quit this is the family business it's complicated it really is I do I get a pang sometimes when I read about businesses that are you know now in their fifth generation or you know even if they're still second or third that they're you know, they've grown and, and transitioned to sort of the next stage of the company. Yes, but you also do what you think is right for the business at the right time. And so that was very much a part of the decision. This was back in 2001. And the municipal bond industry ended up going through all sorts of crazy crises in the subsequent years. So I do sometimes wonder, gosh, what would it have been like if if we kept the business? You know, how would those crises have unfolded for us? But my legacy, I feel, is very much intact, not in terms of the business, the business existing, obviously, but in terms of the homage that I pay to my grandmother and that she is absolutely a part of my story and part of the communication I have with women. And, you know, especially when I'm talking to younger women who are running startups 
and get the challenges of being a female-led startup and trying to raise capital. And, you know, I always say she was, my grandmother was a female founder just a hundred years on the early side. And so it's always great to be able to, to say that because it makes that woman realize, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, there are women who've been doing this for a super long time. And if you think about a hundred years, obviously, that's, <laughs> that's a meaningful period of time. And also the other thing, it's funny, my dad, with whom I worked for 27 years, who was larger than life and extremely well-known, he's kind of become secondary in the story. I don't talk about him that often. Um, he's probably looking down right now, not thrilled about that, but he drove home how important it is to have passion, to communicate and to think about and constantly be focused on how do you talk to people in plain English? So whether for it was investments in municipal bonds for him, it's something I'm very much aware of all the time so that, you know, I'm not talking about investment banking or our team is not talking about investment banking in very technical terms to a woman. And just because, you know, she doesn't speak that language and just making sure that I'm communicating in in plain English. And mm. so that comes from my dad, absolutely, in that legacy. Amazing. And, and you know, I think even, even if you're, I agree that your dad would say, hey, what about me? It's <laughs> like, if you're honoring your grandmother, I think he's pretty happy because, you yes. know, that, that and your grandparents, because I understand that your grandfather also was in yeah. the business, but, but your grandmother was the first woman to run a Wall Street brokerage firm. Right. Am I correct? That, that is big. And so I, I, I'm curious, what do you think in terms of the advancement that we have made? You know, some people say, oh, we, we're making progress. So now with COVID, people say we're not making progress. What do you think in her view was the biggest challenge back then? And can we relate to anything that we're going on right now? I think relating to what she must have gone through is is probably tough because I often even think what her friends must have said about her behind her back yeah. and how <laughs> work and have children and you know it was so so uh, extreme obviously for women to be working then and certainly on wall street and certainly running a company i found an article a few years ago on her that was printed in written in 1931 or 32 and the article the opening line was that you you walk in and you meet this girl and she and she was 31 or 32 herself at the <laughs> time and so i thought gosh that's interesting that they wrote about her as a ceo but as a girl <laughs> uh, and then in the story that someone she just there picks up the phone you know with both hands and uh so the person on the phone calls her girly. So, I mean, we've all had our share of, you know, comments we didn't care for, but girly, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, but to your broader question, there has been huge advancement. And I think it's, sometimes people get caught up in the, we haven't done this, we haven't done that. And sure, there are a lot of things left to do, but we have a woman who is, CEO of one of the largest banks in the world. We have women who are um, managing partners of law firms and private equity funds and venture funds. We have women who have built and sold businesses of enormous value and 
We have women who are in major executive positions that they wouldn't even have been in, you know, 15, 10 or 15 years ago on, on Wall Street. The key to me is that level below the the women in their kind of late 30s, early 40s who have already had great careers and they should continue to rise. But the challenge of doing that and having a family, which you know, it's 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 totally doable to do it all, but it's hard. And a lot of women either make that choice not to, or they end up getting categorized as somebody who isn't necessarily going to be on that on that growth track. So I to me, that's kind of the next big thing that I would love to see happen is a change in that dynamic. Well, and and you're really well poised. I mean, from the moment um I learned. Uh, what the firm was doing under your leadership. It's, I think it's in a way disruptive that, that you're putting this as a, a special group, you know, where you're putting a light, bright light on the possibilities. And, and I, I can say firsthand that that connection coming from a privately owned business with a very traditional father that's still at 86, like, you know, almost like your your family is still, you know, involved and active and passionate about his own business, but where, you know, maybe getting investors, getting it, it's a little bit against what, what his tradition is. So that link to money, I know it's one of the biggest challenges for privately owned businesses, especially minority owned businesses. So you really are almost like throwing a lifeline in terms, not only on the possibility, but on, on advisory, on consultancy of, of being heard that, oh, this is true. This is what people struggle with. So I, I, I really believe that the opportunities are incredible, especially when we have ESG, people think environment, but it's really part of one of the UN's developmental goals is gender equity and, you know, a fair payment. I mean, all these things that are embodied in what you're trying to do. No, absolutely. And, you know, it, it brings me joy great joy with what I do. And so that's just a wonderful position to be in, of course. But first of all, when I think about Houlihan Loki's decision, just say, and it's, a you know, to male dominate, obviously. Yeah, we see the opportunity. And here's this person who, you know, approached us with experience, with an idea, with a, a business plan. We want to do this. I mean, that that's a huge, huge step forward and comment about about the company but then also you know the the individual bankers within the company you know they have really appreciated what i do bring to the conversation and to the relationships it's not like they say well you know you don't know how to structure a deal they really see huge value in it and they know that they have to have a diverse team when they meet someone, you know, the days of walking into a room and having it be all white guys is is not, those are over. They really are. These guys still do it in yeah. some cases, but um, I know multiple uh, cases where a female-led company or even CFO said they, they're not, they we're not going to consider them. They didn't think to bring a single woman. Wow. That's, uh, that's encouraging to hear. And so I always say it's about awareness. 
You know, it's not so much. I always say also, it's not about being one of the boys. It's about being part of the team. If yep. you are in an environment where you feel you're part of that team, even if there's a lot of men, I don't care, but I feel that I, that I'm being seen, then that's a completely different story than when you get invited to the table just because of your gender. Right. Exactly. I mean, look, I think it's really important to have people understand that diversity isn't just having women or having minorities. It is because they bring a different perspective. That's diversity. Um, so continually driving home that point um, to me is what is one of the most important things. And look, in my case, I bring that diversity of thought. You know, I bring it as a former CEO and as a former female CEO. And that's something that is additive. And our team here, I think, very much realizes that and sees value in that. Mm, I love that point of diversity of thoughts and uh, in my opinion, also diversity of experience. Yes. Like because you've been on all sides of the table and sometimes I feel, for example, one of the things that I advocate a lot besides, of course, uh, more gender equality and, 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 and diversity at executive level, but also in sourcing, I, I believe that we are missing the mark in terms of a lot of companies you know, they go and, and want to buy, you know, or purchase from diverse companies. But, you know, in terms of you see volume and they focus on the volume, but then there's only 5% of the big companies that gather all that volume. And then you still live in a lot of minority owned business that want a chance at, you know, getting a contract, you're leaving them out. So it's always, I found that when I have somebody on the other side of the table that have been a vendor before, they, they, the whole negotiation is very different because they understand the pain points to getting onboarded with, you know, a big company rather than if you've always been on the purchasing side with power in your hands, you approach that negotiation so differently than if you have that diversity of experience. Right. And, you know, having been a woman owned designated business, I appreciate the challenges of getting it, getting in the, you know, whether it's being a supplier or being in a bond deal of the challenge of getting in the door and then in the actual room, because that's where the decisions are are made. And so when I talk to a woman today who's a, a has a woman on designated business, you know, I do bring, and the, and the guys here don't, but I do bring that understanding of how challenging it is. And also can, be helpful in thinking through different ways to actually get to where they need to be to get mm. that business. I love it. So if you have, you know, of course, you meet with a lot of businesses and and uh, big and small and women trying to make a difference. You know, if you were a woman starting your company or wanting to grow the company, what advice would you give in terms of focus on, you know, relationship or getting the certification? What would you be? You're like top of mind things that you would advise? Well, a few things. First of all, in thinking about starting the business, being very clear, not just about what the, the core of the company will be, of course, but how you plan to grow it. And being thoughtful in those early years of not growing in too many different areas at once, which can take attention away from the core business. And there can be a number of resource challenges that, that come up in trying to build too many things um, at once. 
I would also say that for women who are going to be raising capital to build their business, when you go into a room of typically all male VC, venture capitalists, oftentimes women think and even say, oh, I hope they give me money. It would be so great. And they're just the best. And I'm just, this would be, you know, I hope this happens. Instead of flipping it and saying, as they walk into the room, these guys are so lucky that I am here and they have the potential to invest in my business that will make them a lot of money. You know, it it changes. It Just think about a woman going into a room, you know, in that way, it just changes the way you feel when you walk in the room and it's tangible. It's palpable. People, people will, will see that. And, and I think it changes the conversation when it comes to the designated woman owned designated, the we bank challenges. I mean, look, it's important to know how once you get to a growth point where hopefully your business will be quite large and you need to take on additional capital, how you'll be able to do that while still maintaining the woman-owned status. That may mean you only sell, you know, raise or sell a portion of the business that still gives you the majority. It may mean there are some private equity funds that actually are women-owned and designated that can buy that business. I'm, I'm kind of sighing as I as I'm struggling for the right answer in terms of how you do get in the supplier diversity channels because, and you well know this that you know applying online you're one of thousands of suppliers and then you have to you know make figure out how you get to the top of the pile. I do feel that developing a network and utilizing connections where you can not being shy about asking if you know somebody knows someone you know in in whatever area of the company just always do whatever you can to utilize your network and your connection and also connections and also know that if somebody's going to help you you have to find a way to help them at some point it's it's a give and take you know i love it i love that advice i love the advice of how you walk into the room because it's imposter syndrome is real and uh, we are known to suffer from that and, and to feel that uh, we are getting a gift from somebody that gave us a meeting. And, and, and it's so, so true that when you change and flip your mindset and you're confident about what you have, others will definitely see it. So, I mean, I can talk for hours, but I know we have limited time and I wanted to close on something because I read some someplace that, you changed, you made the change, the big change you made in your life because you wanted to make your heart sink. And I always close my interviews with asking what makes you tick. And I say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's here. And the research I've done, this is a person that it's really, that's why you make a perfect guest for Back to Basics because you, you, re, you were very attuned with what makes you tick. And so if you can just share a little bit also about why is it make you sing, which you kind of touch upon? And also what other things make you tick other than the incredible work you're doing? So as I mentioned in, you know, very briefly, I was ready to hang my CEO hat up. You know how hard it is and that 
you go to sleep, but you're still a CEO <laughs> and you wake up and the challenges and the crises that existed the night before exist first thing in the morning. And after years and years of doing that, I just didn't have that passion to deal with those crises. And there were some big bumps that happened as well that really made me think I've given all that I want to give and not that I can, but I've given all that I want to give at this point. And I really think it's time after all these years to do something that does make me happy, um, that makes me wake up every morning and excited. And um, it really does come down to being this champion for women, but having this business angle to it. I mean, I could mm -hmm. certainly you know run diversity at a at a big company, but for me, it's taking that passion and then figuring out the business opportunity. It's just a, a such a winning combination for me. I really, I really do feel it's it's funny if I think between now and in, back in 2017 and before, it's just such a difference, and it feels it's very good. <laughs> and that's fantastic, and I love it, and that's why I think you have a fascinating journey, and you know you are technically still in Wall Street. You're yeah. you're still part of it. And and so I believe that that's a great way of kind of repurposing, you know, the tools and gifts and talents that that God gave you and your family and just using it, you know, for the next level of good. So for that, I thank you for all you're doing. I, I'm a, officially a fan. I'm sure that people that where I'm familiar with your work will be a fan as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that women will have a better position in, in the world and in Wall Street and, uh, you know, in the financial markets because you are there advocating for all of us. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and um, my, you know, my admiration for you in also a very challenging male-dominated business. It's it's a two-way street. So mutual admiration. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and that's why I do this podcast. I also needed something that made my heart sing. So I said, well, a podcast, I get to talk to fascinated people and, and that, you know, you find your way to just keep, keep navigating and keep bringing joy to one's life through the different things that really make you tick. So to all you out there listening, thank you for tuning in. And uh, until the next episode of Back to Basics. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.